We got some dumbass This is Unshackled with Imran on justicenews.net Unshackled with Imran on justicenews.net Good, how about yourself? I'm alright. Michael, tell me man, start from the get-go. What happened? How did you end up in this? So, uh, do we start from the night that... Exactly. They said this, this allegedly happened. So... Yeah. The night that they said this happened, I had, We had all decided to go out because a friend of ours was getting ready to move to Morgantown to go to WVU. And I was getting ready to move away to go to South Carolina. So it was kind of like our last night together or whatever, you know what I mean? Hmm. So me, my co-defendant Matt, my co-defendant Joey, uh, two girls, and my other friend Mike went to the bar, and then we came back, probably about two o'clock that night. I came in, we smoked a joint, I cleaned up the house, and I told Mike, let's go, if you want to ride, let's go, I'm leaving. And I took him home, and I uh, went home that night about, I don't know, two or three o'clock in the morning. My mom was there. She made me a, a sandwich. I hooked up. Uh, we talked. Then uh, the next day, I had a big family reunion. I had to go to a big birthday party for my grandma because she's really old. And they have a lot of kids, and I got tons of cousins and all that. And uh, let's see. About three days later, when I helped my friend take his stuff up to Morgantown, and I came back home, and then about three days after that, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina to... Uh, attend culinary school, a place called Johnson & Wells. I was going to be a chef. Mm -hmm. And then I was down there about a week and a half, two weeks. Got enrolled, had a job, had my apartment. And uh, I got a phone call from my mother telling me that I was on the news. They're wanting for murder. The state police had called, freaking out. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? So she gave me the number. I called the state police. And I was like, are you all accusing me of something? You want to talk to me? And I'm like, yeah, we just want to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. And I asked him, I said, are you charging me with something or what's going on? They're like, no, we just want to talk to you. I'm like, well, all right, I'll, I'll drive back tonight and I'll talk to you. Because I had to come back anyway because my girlfriend was down there visiting me, so I had to bring her home. Mm -hmm. So I drove back up and I went in to talk to him. And I got arrested for two counts of first-degree murder. And then uh, about a year and a half after that, I went to trial. And they, we can talk about that all you want. And then we, uh, they pretty much railroaded me there at trial. And I've been here for 25 years, fighting them ever since. So when you left, when you left that room, that house, who was there? My co-defendants were the only people there, and the two people that lived there, but they were asleep. So who got murdered? Uh, the two gentlemen that were murdered were Ron, Ron Davis and Greg Black with their names. Who were they? Uh, I don't really know. The, the only connection to me was a month or two prior to this, I had sold a gentleman a bag of marijuana, and apparently. He had bought this marijuana for them, and I guess he pinched the bag or whatever, which I didn't pinch the bag. So this one gentleman, Ron, shows up at the house, and he's talking his bag was short, this, that, and other, because the other guy's sitting there to talk to me. And I'm like, look, I don't know what you're talking about. Here's a couple of dollars. Go away. You know what I mean? These men are like 30s and 40s years old. We're 19, 20-year-old kids. You know what I mean? Hmm. So that night, apparently, one of them stole my truck keys because I had a truck at the time. I was drinking, and I got mad. And I raised hell and said I was going to wolf them or whatever. And a couple of days later, the truck keys got returned to me, but it wasn't a big deal. You know what I mean? I don't even, that's the only time I've ever met. I only met the one gentleman that one time for like maybe three or four minutes. 
The other guy I'd never even seen in my life. And that's the only connection I have with these guys. Now, as far as my co-defendant goes, I think he knows him or he knew him or had some previous dealings with him or something. But other than that, I don't know them, man. You know what I mean? This is Unshackled and Juan on JusticeNews.net. You're listening to Unshackled. Unshackled with Iran on JusticeNews.net. When you left the house, were they there? Who? Those two who died. No, they were at their house, wherever they lived. I don't even know. I've never been to those dudes' house or anything. They they were killed at their own home. So what you're saying is that you left, and the two co-defendants were in the house, and you took off. Yeah. And then those two guys went out, uh, and allegedly you all went out to these guys' homes, and that's where they got killed. That's what the state says. Yeah, the state says allegedly I left with my co-defendants, and we went out there, and it was a big... We had planned this big robbery, elaborate robbery, which was a bunch of shit. And mm-hmm. I freaked out and killed him or something. So that's what their story was. But that's not what happened. You know? When I left the house, the only two people at the house were my two co-defendants. I don't know what they did when I left. So the only thing I can assume is that they're the ones that did it. Mm-hmm. So you have a witness who went with you? Yeah. So did she testify? When I took, you... when I, well, I... I took him home that night, right? And he told the police when he got arrested, look, I, he didn't arrest him. They brought him in for questioning. And he told him the truth. He said, look, I don't know anything about it. I didn't know anything. He took me home that night, blah, blah, blah. And then they come back to him and they threaten to charge him with a robbery that him and my other two co-defendants had apparently committed before that. And so then he lawyers up and he gets an immunity deal. And he says, oh, yeah, by the way, when he took me home, he said that they did it. He disappeared with his co-defendant. for. He said me and Matt left. And I came back and then I took him home was his story he changed to. And he got immunity to do that. But also when he testified, he also changed his statement in saying that my third co-defendant never left the house. That he stayed there with him. And when his statement to the police and everybody else before that, when he changed and he got immunity, was that we all left the house. And the prosecutors knew he was lying when he did it. And they let it stand, you know what I mean? And then my third co-defendant, after I get convicted, which he didn't testify against me or anything because they knew that his story was a bunch of bullshit, they gave him a 10 flat for robbery and let, pretty much let him go. And he admitted he was a lookout man or something crazy like that. What about the fact that home and your mom is a witness to that, that you were home with her? She made you sandwich. Yeah, she testified to that. But, you know, mother's alibis, that's not going to fly. They don't. I mean, I even had a, a private investigator that testified that said he drove drove the, the story that I said my story and the times and it all fit and there was no way possible for the timeline that the state had for of me to have done what they said I did for the driving time because this is out in the country you know what I mean this is not in a city or anything like that hmm. so uh, so I just wanted to look at the other side so the other side is you left the house and you left your co-defendants there yeah. and you left with somebody who you're going to drop off correct yeah I dropped off at his house yeah yeah and then you went back home and, and I went home yeah, it was on my way home. I dropped them off. Yeah. So on the other side, you left these two guys. These two guys leave the house. They go down somewhere, meet up some people, and two people end up dead. I'm assuming they went out there and did whatever they did with those guys. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. So what about the... Uh, I heard somebody saying that... Somebody was saying that one of your co-defendants did that because they're on record saying that Michael was too chicken to do that? Uh, there's a statement 
that came out as new evidence. But you have to realize, this guy's got eight or nine different statements and many different versions of how this happened and what, who did what and when did what. He even went so far in his habeas corpus when they let him out of prison as to get on the stand and start saying he didn't remember anything that night. He don't remember who drove the car. He just testified to what the prosecutors told him. And they stopped the hearing and then all of a sudden they cleaned it up and they let him out of prison. You know what I mean? So he's got 50. Well, yes, there's a statement that they sealed that I can send to you. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean? If you want that, that pretty much says he's the killer. Yeah. So what is that statement exactly? What did he exactly say? And who is this? Well, it's technically it's under seal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to approach it, but as far as I could tell, I've refiled it in my my pre, my habeas that's in right now. I've refiled this statement because the way they ruled on me was that I couldn't use it because it's Brady material, and you can't use Brady material to impeach a witness. Well, that's false. They they ruled on it wrong, and my lawyers are wrong. It was a Giglio claim because the only evidence they have against me is this man's statement. When that's all the evidence that the state has against you, they can't suppress the statement, and you're allowed to use that evidence as impeachment evidence under Giglio. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm fighting with him right now about. Mm. Now, I don't have the statement from you right now, but I, I'll send it to you. So how many years have they given you? They gave me uh, two life sentences, 15 to life on each count, and ran them consecutive. So I got 30 to life. Mm-hmm. And you pulled in 20 plus? Almost 25, yeah. Almost 25, yeah. So, tell me, from your vantage point, what do you think occurred? What do you mean, with the murders? First with the murders, and then with the conviction. With the murders, in my opinion, my co-defendant knew him. And there was some kind of beef there, because after after I had left for uh, South Carolina with my parents, because I went down there with my parents, and they helped me move in and stuff. Um, someone tried to burn down the crime scene. Hmm. Like, there's the arson report, but we have never been able to get this arson report. It's a mystery. We've, that was one of the things that Lawrence was supposed to be investigating, but he never did. But, uh, mm-hmm. and the only people in town at that time were my co-defendants. You know what I mean? Hmm. And, if, and they decided to go on a, a cross-country robbery spree. They, they ran off the Daytona Beach, Florida, and committed armed robbery on tourists and robbed a hardware store with the murder weapon and everything. The whole time I was in another state trying to start a life, you know what I mean? Hmm. So, as far as I can tell, my co-defendant had something going on that I didn't have any idea what he had going on. Because mm-hmm. when they arrested him in Daytona Beach, Florida, they actually arrested him, and then they let them go for 12 hours, and then when they came back after that 12 hours is when they had their story about me. But they still couldn't get their story straight about what exactly happened. It was ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the only way you won't get your story straight is when it's a pack of lies. Yeah. But they have, there's multiple different versions. But they also, like, when they prosecuted me, they threw all these theories together at once. That I was a bad person, that I was mad about these keys. And then the final version my co-defendant came up with, and I guess the state was that we had planned this big robbery and these guys were some kind of big drug dealers and we went there to steal all these massive amounts of drugs. But unfortunately, when you look at the crime scene, there's nothing stolen. There's nothing removed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it was just basically... And they said whatever they had to say to get me convicted. 
So, uh, and what do you think happened uh, uh, as far as the conviction is concerned, the whole court process and the trial and the way your case has been handled? Because, I mean, it, it's got to be bizarre from your vantage point to see that it's been overturned twice and you're still in prison. Yeah, do you want me to talk about that? About the first, well, the first time I was overturned, they just overturned my sentence on direct appeal on some little... They failed to do a pre-sentence investigation on me, and they said that they had to do it, so they overturned my sentence and upheld my conviction and sent me back down there thinking, I'm, I guess after I, I was in prison for a year or so, they thought I was going to just come down there and take a duel, and I wouldn't take the deal because I've been adamant since day one. I'm not going to admit something I didn't do. Mm-hmm. And I think I told you this before. When I went there, I told the judge, look, I may have done some bad things or made some mistakes, but one thing I didn't do was kill those men. I'm never going to admit to it. You know, if you give me a lesser sentence or run my sentences together, I'd be grateful. But if you don't do it, then so be it. And so he sends me to the same thing again. Mm. And then in 2011, they overturned my uh, conviction. My trial judge retired. I got a special judge to sit in. He overturned my conviction on a jury issue, which there was a lady on my jury whose son was under indictment for kidnapping and uh, rape. He got transferred to the judge that was trying my case and scheduled to, his trial was scheduled to start immediately after my trial. He had the same prosecutor, same judge. He even had the same lawyer as my co-defendant. Damn. And this woman, this woman failed to speak up and say anything about it on Valdir. She said that it, she didn't think any of this applied to her and that it didn't affect her. So that's what it got overturned on. And then went to the state Supreme Court and they decided that, well, they can't say that she wasn't honest or whatever or whatever. I don't know. You have to read it. It's on Lexus Nexus. I don't remember the exact words now. But they uh, reversed it and put it back on me 3 2. And ever since then, I've been fighting them again. Michael, in your case, who do you think uh, bears the responsibility uh, of your wrongful conviction? Who do I think is responsible for it? I said it's pretty much the whole Cabell County courthouse down there. They've all played a part in it one way or another suppressing evidence or presenting false testimony or just whitewashing my claims, refusing to adjudicate my claims. Like, I'm still trying to get claims adjudicated from my habeas give them, to actually get them to give me facts and findings and conclusions of all of these claims I have since 2012, since 2011, since they reversed my conviction and put it back on me. Mm. So, yeah, Judge Farrell, Chris Charles, Judge O'Hanlon, Jared DeVita, her husband Trooper DeVita. They let her. She was the assistant prosecutor. Was married to the lead investigator who was testifying in my trial for the state police. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they had it pretty well rigged up before it even started. So, uh, what are you going to do about it now? Well, the only thing I can do is just keep fighting in the courts and to a kid. Until I get my, uh, at least an answer to what, whether my constitutional rights have been violated or not. You know what I mean? And I can't even get that right now. I'm fighting over whether uh, a judge is allowed to hear his own, be a party and hear his own case when he's a party in it. They won't even give me that simple right. So I'm going to keep fighting with him. That's all I can do. That's all I've done for 25 years. Yeah, you can't give up, man, because the fact, just the fact that you didn't take the plea deal, and no matter how they try to 
put you down, you kept rising back up because you know that you're innocent. Yeah. I mean, this is a lot of stuff. I haven't talked about this in years and years, but I'm a lot older now. I mean, I've, I've lost my whole life over this. Basically, I've lost all my 20s, all my 30s, and I'm working on my 40s now. But one thing I've told my family, and they understood, and I've always said, uh, I'm never going to... As long as I can get up every day and look in the mirror and look at myself, then I'm good. They can't break me. You're not going to get me to to admit to something I didn't do. This is Unshackled Within Ron on justicenews.net.